This episode is brought to you by Knowing Hospitality, a full-service hotel management company that has developed a simple and straightforward management fee based on profit, not revenue. If you're a hotel owner that believes in a new way of doing business and want to learn more about the benefits of a profit-based management agreement, visit knowinghospitality.com. Now let's get to the podcast. I think true, again, leadership, that you're not going in there going, I know all the right answers. I know exactly what to do. It forces you to stop and listen because your experts are there and they want to be heard. Welcome to the Proven Principles Podcast, the show that deconstructs the inner workings of the hospitality industry, breaking down the tools, tips, and tricks that the world's best-run hotels use every day. Here's your host, Adam Knight. My guest today is Chris Intress. Chris's entrepreneurial background started with her first business at 17. She eventually joined the army, moved overseas, opening several restaurants and bars along the way, bought and turned around a hospitality technology company and became CEO of World Hotels. She's now the founder and CEO of Rock Springs Retreat Center in Tennessee, an exclusive 24-room retreat that helps people refocus on the benefits of good habits, a positive outlook, fitness, food, and connection with others. The retreat was inspired by her own struggles with balancing work demands and her own well-being, something that those working in hospitality know all too well. And through it all, she's bucked traditional views on leadership in our industry, doing more than simply talking about it, but practicing it every day. What I appreciate about her message is that whether it's due to a lack of self-awareness, ego, or myopic behavior, we're the ones who place ourselves in unsustainable situations, and we have the power to change our circumstances by cultivating the right support system. This discussion resonated with me, and I hope you find something here that does the same for you. So let's get to it. This is episode 74 of the Proven Principles podcast, Chris Interest on challenging the hospitality status quo. Enjoy. Chris, thank you so much for being on the show. It's great to have you. Absolutely, Adam. Just excited to be here. I am really interested to dive into your background a little bit. Uh, you've had quite the uh, storied career, uh, culminating to founding this uh, retreat center, which we're going to dive into in, in hopefully great detail. But why don't you give everybody a, a sense of your background and, and how you came to be where you're at now? Wow, that's a convoluted uh, question on many levels. So, um, and I think as an entrepreneur and hospitality and so forth, I think that you're kind of born with this, you know, DNA genetic default in your body, right? So, so I actually was very entrepreneurial as a kid. You know, I was always trying to find ways to start businesses and make cards and sell them, and you know, create lots of different avenues there. So I was I was already triggered that way. Um, I moved out at 16 which is pretty unusual nowadays, but uh, started my first business at 17, probably because I had no idea what else to do. Um, and so, you know, I really dug in deep early in, in my career and I had about 40 people working for me when I was 17. And, um, wow. I, you know, my biggest fear is they'd find out I was 17, right? You know, and so, <laughs> and it honestly, it was a multi-level marketing, which I had no idea what that meant. The only question was, are you athletic? Are you motivated? Are you excited? I'm like, ah, I can do that. Um, and I was ranked number three in the country in about two weeks because I just didn't know I knew how to sell. Right. And so, huh. so quickly the organization asked me to open my own office, start my own thing. And I did. And, um, you know, and so that was super, um, interesting. It was very, uh, uh, insightful on so many different ways because where it came to is I recreated the model because I felt so guilty that I could inspire people to want to do this. And I knew that they couldn't do it. And so mm -hmm. now I struggled with people not wanting them to quit their job um, because you want to be sincere, right? You want people to succeed. And so I think I quickly mm -hmm. realized that leadership is very powerful. My mom used to say that, you know, 
Hitler and Martin Luther King were both great leaders. It was really who was their parent? You know, what was their inspiration and what were they trying to do? So recognizing that you have that ability and then making sure that you respect it. So so after moving through that, um, you know, I did I ran a restaurant a group of restaurants and so forth. And then I just kind of realized I was tired of being in charge. I was only about 20. Um, hmm. So I joined the army and um, I thought I have to just wear the clothes, eat the food, you know, march at the right time. And, and I also knew I wanted to be in healthcare. So um, my family was background was healthcare. So I quickly, uh, you know, acclimated to that. I was a little bit older and, and then I became, I won the command general award uh, at basic, you know, you're competing against about 300 people and, because I'm competitive, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm competing against all these people. I've got to be number one. Yeah. And, and I really came to realize early on in my life, I was really only competing against 10 people. A lot of people hmm. don't want to be in charge. They don't want that responsibility. They don't really want to be the person that might lead you down the wrong road. So, mm -hmm. you know, at a young age, I said, huh, okay, well, thank goodness we're not all wired the same way. But that's when I also started to realize you know, the humility of leading, you know, and recognizing that it's not about being right. It's about standing up, you know, um, had some instances where I threw myself under the bus because it was the right thing to do. And you mm -hmm. realize that people are more inspired and empowered by that. Right. So, yeah. so, you know, then I left the military and, and, um, and I accidentally went to Scotland, uh, to study the healthcare system for two weeks with my mother and, um, met my son's father, you know, that love story that happens. And I decided mm -hmm. not to leave Scotland. So I ended up opening up two nightclubs, a couple of bars, didn't know what else to do with my life again. So why not? I knew this industry, yeah. you know, and so really for me, that became my global awareness for running global organizations that what works in America does not work everywhere else. And, Interesting. you know, and most people in America don't even think about time zones, yet alone inspirational things of, you know, moving around Europe and and really understanding the impact of our behavior as Americans in the world and listening and understanding. And, you know, so that was great insight to open businesses, be an entrepreneur. Um, but it was very tough. They don't particularly want entrepreneurs. What makes you think you're better than somebody else? Um, hmm. So it was humbling in understanding how you even approach that world. Um, and then I ended up having a son and came back to America because I really wanted him raised in America. I am truly a patriot of America. I love this country. Anything is possible if you set your mind to it. Um, so when I came back, I quickly went back through undergrad in two years with a baby and doing all that fun stuff. And I had a job lined up in healthcare. It was all ready to go. And I won a national competition in acting. I had no interest in it. Um, so I ended up moving to LA and I produced some films, wrote some scripts. I got some leads in some movies. Um, but I quickly realized I didn't want my life in other people's hands. So I ended up running a healthcare company out in LA and um, at the same time as doing all these other things. And so that's when I realized grad school and how important it is because now I'm running a healthcare company and I feel like I'm fooling the world, right? Including mm -hmm. myself. So I went back to grad school at Kellogg and um, was one of the youngest executive uh, program members that they'd ever had. So I had to do a lot of fast talking to let me in. And um, when I got in as an entrepreneur, I realized how many brilliant people were around me. And there was no entrepreneurial club for an executive program because you're often sent by a company. So wow. I broke all the rules again. I started an entrepreneurial company. And my first meeting, I had 250 people show up. And I created a bridge over to the full-time program because the inspiration was shared on both sides. There was more wisdom and maybe age on one side and maybe more excitement and, and idea creation on the other side. Mm 
So mm-hmm. I started this entrepreneurial club and had a great group of cal- uh, colleagues from Kellogg that when we got out, I had started a healthcare company in Evanston um, teaching physicians how to do minimally invasive surgery. Hmm. So when I got out of that, we said, let's go buy a company and flip it. And I said, the only thing I don't want to do is manufacturing because you know, it just didn't excite me, right? Anything else hmm. was on the table. Well, we ended up finding a hospitality technology company down in the Nashville area in Hendersonville and um, knew nothing about it, which I realized is the power of, I think, true, again, leadership that you're not going in there going, I know all the right answers and I know exactly what to do. It forces you to stop and listen because your experts are there and they want to be heard. And so my way of recreating the company with my two partners was I learned Salesforce and I built the whole thing myself because it forced me to sit with every team and understand their pain points and their processes. And so about a year or two in, I ended up buying up both my partners and I grew the organization from 700 hotels to 7,000 hotels in seven years and built a brand new hotel technology system with my partner, my JV partner, which wasn't possible, which again, ignorance is bliss. And um, just rose in that world because I felt the need to understand everything and how all those pieces went together. And often when we're in an industry, we learn our silo and we don't know how it impacts other other portions of the industry. And so I really became kind of an expert in the field because I was learning so much and I was open to learning it. My glass wasn't full. I kept emptying it out. Right. And and um, so I rose in that. And then there was a consolidation in the marketplace and I became part of that. And in the process of selling my company to a private equity group, um, they flew me to London and sat me down at a vodka bar and said, we want you to run this international company, would you? And you required to have seven languages. And I said, well, I'm working on English, right? My French is okay. But uh, <laughs> So I took over World Hotels. And um, again, it went out on a listening spree. I visited 45 countries in one year and our clients, because you got to go to their home and understand their pains. They shouldn't always yeah. have to come to you. And really understanding and sitting with every employee in the organization at our 35 offices and going, what do you need? What do you want? Um, and so I really kind of was able to turn that organization around. I was the first American in a leadership role or running the company. And I was the first woman at a leadership role in the organization. So running a German-based company as an American and a female <clears throat> definitely taught me a lot about life. Um, Earn, earned your paycheck. I earned my paycheck and, um, and it was inspiring. And so I only stepped down from that um, because my mother fell, fell ill with a terminal uh, cancer. And, you know, I was lucky enough in my life. I had done well enough that, you know, family to me and supporting the people you love is super critical. So I stepped down and my mom was brilliant. She was a therapist and she was a hypocrite, but she was a therapist as we most, most of us are like doctors are the worst patients. But she said, if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anyone else. And that's very hard when you um, are a leader to remember that if you don't take care of your own soul and your own spirit, you're not good for your employees or for anybody that you're working with. And knowing I was going to have to take care of my ill mother, I went off to a fitness retreat for four weeks because I knew I had to take care of myself and get myself back in order before I could commit to taking care of her. So I went to one. Um, and it was super inspiring and life-changing to see all these people making this decision in their life to better themselves. And so I went back to take care of her and good, bad, or indifferent. She only lived about another four weeks. We anticipated a couple of years. And then I sat there and said, oh my gosh, I've resigned from my job. I've sold my company. I don't know what I'm going to do. 
but hey, that thing I just went and did was super inspiring. So I dragged my husband and um, a colleague and said, if you guys drink the Kool-Aid, we're doing this. And everybody that works with me knows one thing. I don't have a slow motion approach, right? So I go very fast. Um, and so by the time I left, I had already found a property and purchased it within two weeks and had it open in six months, which is now Rock Springs Retreat Center or Fit Farm. Wow. So there we are. Wow. That's a there long, we are. drawn and out story of, you know, how do you get to where you're at? It is fascinating though. And I, I love, I mean, you touched on so many points through, through that journey about, um, understanding leadership, leadership, burnout, understanding your, uh, you know, every, I think a lot of people strive to be number one in an organization, but it's okay to be number 50 in an organization and understanding kind of where your strength is at, uh, a huge part of that self-awareness piece. Um, entrepreneurship forever was not considered the cool thing to do, right? It is now, but you know, people like yourself that grind it out for years and years and years, you seem like an overnight success now, but it, you know, took you 30 years to get there. Right. Um, it's, it's fascinating. Um, I, I, something came up in what you were explaining that I've had this experience personally, uh, where do you think that travel and experiencing the world outside of the U.S. has made you a better leader. Absolutely. Hands down. I think that, um, I always say we're like young teenagers wanting to be popular. And, um, you know, and I think there's, a, there's great things in that because you're a risk taker when you're a teenager and you go out and do it. But, but we don't always stop and listen to those around us when we're trying to prove something. And I think when you go out into the international world, there's so much history, there's so much knowledge, and there's so much um, experience out there that America's a young country. You know, we don't know what we don't know. And um, drinking at a cafe and listening to the stories is very different than sitting at Starbucks in America. You know, yeah. Very uh, I'll never forget uh, this experience I had with with uh, uh, an employee in a staff cafeteria who told me about his journey to get to the U.S. And I mean, I'm born and raised in Canada. My my journey to the U.S. involved applying for a job through the organization I was already working for, right. them getting me a visa, and then moving here. I, I mean, it, it couldn't have. It was like moving across the country. It, it couldn't have been easier. Um, and well, to, to hear point, these, I these, had I had uh, two employees in Germany. Uh, my assistant, who was amazing. And they grew up on the other side of the wall. And it was very real to hear their stories and uh, to understand that's not history. That was real. That was in the moment. There are young that's kids that really could talk about that. And you can't read that in a history book, right? History books are written from one vantage point. And mm -hmm. um, so those were those raw things that you could go and see a third world country in a developed environment. And you have to experience some of those things to make them visceral. Yeah. Uh, and no matter which venture you ended up going into at whatever kind of timestamp you're looking at through your career, uh, you came back to hospitality yeah. Yep. every time. Uh, how, so why don't you tell us a little bit about the, the rock Springs, rock Springs retreat. Um, you know, obviously there's a, there's a heavy health and fitness component, right. big inspiration in your life. Um, but bringing all of that together and trying to figure out like, what is the right formula here? Okay. So we're sitting around our kitchen table. I want to, I want to do something that emulates this thing that had a big impact on my life. 
right. going from ideation to execution. Walk us through that journey a little bit. Well, you know, I had been a personal trainer out in LA um, because I was always an athlete and I played some professional sports. And so I've always been passionate about fitness. I think it feeds the soul. You know, it's a great way to take care of yourself. Um, you know, you don't have to be fit to experience that. You don't have to be an athlete to experience that, but feeling alive, right? But where I came from, it was, you know, often a plumber is a great plumber, but they're not a good business person, right? You know, and so they know their trade, but then all of a sudden they move into this entrepreneurial world and they kind of fail at that side. So what I experienced in the fitness experience that I had was the fitness was great, but the hospitality was, mm, the food, mm, you know, because it was a trainer that created this program. And so that was a one perspective of this journey that they needed. And so when I came back, I said, I can do all those other things really well because I'm a, a business person who is passionate about the things that are associated to this program. And so for me, then I could say, how do you make a, a safe, um, positive environment from the hospitality side, from the food and beverage side, from the fitness side? So by having all those experiences, I was able to understand it's, it's building blocks where a lot of the programs are very hospitality driven, but maybe not very fitness driven or very mm. food and diet conscious, but not understanding lifestyle changes. Right. Mm. So I think that was the difference of having my experience coming into Rock Springs was I could kind of garner all those things to look at a holistic program. Yeah. Um, and so what, what is the programming at the retreat look like? What, are, what are you trying to achieve bringing guests in kind of who's the target? What's the at the macro level here, what, what are we looking at? Yeah. I mean, I looked at, cause I am a business person, right? So as much as I want to be a philanthropist and help the world feel better, you have to make a business work. Right. And so I looked at five pillars of change that are going on right now. I mean, the wellness industry, wellness tourism is the fastest growing segment within hospitality right now. Hmm. Right. But figuring out how to get on that wave and not be smashed by the wave or, or miss the wave is tricky, right? Cause it's a new wave hmm. in many ways. And so what I looked at was we're living longer than we've ever lived, but we want to live healthy. You know, no one wants to live to 120 and be in a, you know, in a wheelchair for 30 of it, you know, or 40 mm -hmm. of it. So we want to be healthier in our aging process. And so how do you do that? Right. We've never eaten more poorly in our entire lives. We, Americans eat out 50% of the time, right? You can't control what's in that food. I mean, their goal is to get you to come back. Right. So right, we're right. eating out. Obviously, that leads, leads into the obesity epidemic, right? We're not healthy what we're putting in our bodies. We are what we eat. But you don't have to go off the charts weird and say everything has to come from farm to table or everything has to be pure organic. That's just how do you eat right? How do you yeah. do a lifestyle change, right? So then the third one is we have more disposable income than we've ever had as a generation, right? And almost ironically more with COVID because we didn't do anything for two years. And right. so we have this money that we can spend on changing our life, right? And then, and then the last one is just, we're sitting in front of monitors eight hours a day. We're animals. We're actually supposed to be moving, right? So all these things are colliding at once and we don't know the answer. We just know that we're not feeling good. We're not feeling fulfilled. We're not. So how you do a Google search on that's pretty tough, right? We tend mm -hmm. to look for fitness, wellness, nutrition, diets. But a lot of times you're actually just missing something and being inspired in your life again. You just want to be awoken. Yeah. You want to be reset. So, so yeah. understanding all those things are moving at once. How do you tap into that 
where it's not, I'm so afraid to make a change or I'm never going to be able to do the fitness or, oh my gosh, could I pull out? So that's the trickiest part in this industry because then we kind of fall to, let's go to a place and talk about feeling better. Well, that doesn't really change anything, right? So, so the dynamic of trying to create it soft enough, but structured enough so that people feel like they can just show up and go along the journey. So your question was, what kind of programs we have? Well, we have three, four different programs. We have a, a weekend warrior. So you can just show up and get a reset. You may be an alumni. You just want to feel better again, right? Um, do a quick check-in. Then you have the, the one-week programs, which is make your journey, choose your journey, right? Your journey, Adam, is going to be different than my journey. You might want to work at Rock Springs half the day and join the program the other half and just eat healthy. We've had people that just show up and say, I just want to be on the food plan and walk around. I just, hmm. I just need to get out of my head, right? So let's choose your journey and we sit with you and establish what your goals are to make sure that we help you achieve the goals that you had when you came, right? And then the last one is full throttle, which says, I'm here, just autoplay it. I just, I'm, I need to follow the crowd, right? Because I don't want to think, I think too much already. So that program is very structured for them and on all the programs where from seven in the morning until 5.30, the day is structured and you just follow the person in front of you, right? Yeah. Um, we just introduced our weight loss program. So the only difference there is they're four weeks and eight weeks and they come with a lot more support systems on the journey. You sit down with your trainers, your life coach during the process. There's a pre-program, there's an aftercare program tied in because you're trying to make a bigger change in your life. Um, hmm. So those are the different kinds of programs that we offer. Yeah. Um, but the target market's hard, right? We get 17-year-olds yeah. and we get 85-year-olds hmm. and they're in the same gym together. We get NFL yeah. football players and we get people who have never stepped foot in a gym. So it's so hard as a marketing person to go, okay, how do you find those people? What yeah. we realized was it's often people going through certain parts in their life. Um, empty nesters. Oh my gosh, who am I? My kids are gone. I've you know devoted my life. Caretakers. I've been taking care of somebody. They're gone now. Or I have to figure out how to take care of myself. You get parents who are worried about their kids starting on an unhealthy process in college and everything else. Take care of them. A really big one is our executives who might step down from a job like what I did. And they're in a transition period. And they just really need to kind of take a moment, find themselves. And they'll stay with us for three, four weeks where they go, I'm figuring out what I want to do next. Um, mm -hmm. We get the school teachers who have the summers off and they're caretakers and they want to take some time for themselves. So, so it's kind of understanding it's more about something happening in their life that triggers the need to find themselves. And then you that layer COVID on it and we all need to reset. that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. That, that is a really interesting way to look at, at marketing because yeah. it's usually just about like, what's your job? Where do you travel? What's your age? You know, how what's much your, money do you have? Which, you, yeah. You're just trying to like, it's very high level buckets yeah. of, of demographics. Traditional marketing one-on-one. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And looking at this from a different perspective, I, I think that's fascinating. Are you, are you surprised at the types of people that come in and do the, the, the different programs it, meaning more like, um, I guess you kind of answered it with getting your executives in. And I was, because I, I, what I would think is that someone who's used to being in charge, sort of very kind of command and control, even though that style doesn't really work, there, there's plenty of them still out there, um, who maybe come in and, and, and want to turn off and surrender to the process. They really do. Yeah. I mean, that's one interesting thing. I remember at grad school, I was there with a lot of leaders, a lot of C-suite people. And 
you know, and it was always interesting how they so desperately didn't want to be in charge when they were in charge. You know, as a leader, we're making decisions all the time. I am an alcoholic on cruise ships, not drinking alcohol, but I get addicted because I don't have to make any decisions once I get on the boat, right? I just get on the boat and I can read a book and I can walk around and I don't have to worry about finding my room and making any decisions. And people are like, yeah, but you love to travel. I'm like, yeah, but I work when I travel. I just want to shut down. And so that's kind of what we are, right? That like, I don't have to think. I don't have to worry about the food I'm putting in my body. I don't have to worry about any of the things that I want to do. I just have to decide if I want a massage or not. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, the, 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 the constant, the redlining of always having to think and weigh options and make a decision day in and day out every single day. Uh, I mean, I'm, I've definitely had this where you, you get home at, at the end of a, maybe a tough week. Uh, and you can't even like somebody asks you, how was your day? I don't even want, I don't even want to talk about it. Right. Like I can't answer that question. I cannot answer another question, yeah. please. Yeah. And, and it's hard to comprehend that when you're not in that situation. Right. And so, yeah. so that's why we do get a lot of executives who show up and they tell each other, just go there. You can just shut off. And the amazing thing is the community and the relationships they build. We get so many alumni that come back together because you would never have met somebody in that industry or in that environment because you had nothing in common. And we get people mm-hmm. from all over the world. And, and, and as adults, we do not make time in our life to make new friends. We don't have time, right? You look like a nice person, right. Adam. I, great. I'll see you yep. in the next life, right? Because yep. my bucket is full and I don't have time. And so they get here mm-hmm. and they're like, wow, I really can listen to somebody. I can laugh with somebody. I can joke with somebody. I'm experiencing something new with somebody. And they build these really, really deep relationships while they're here with people. Mm-hmm. No. I imagine it takes uh, maybe a day or two to to get into the groove, though. Yep. You can't just like start. Okay, I'm here. Surrender. Yeah, they they get there fast because we're we're kind of fast and furious in our methodical way we get them in there, um, and then they move together as a group. So everybody's like, "Why do we get this day off and this day off?" And I said, "Because you're going to hate me till that day." And you're going to realize how important it is that you take a mental day, right? And so they're they're always laughing at like, oh my God, this program is literally tied into the experience um, if you allow it to be, right? And so Mm -hmm. um, when when they show up, when they go through that gate, something just comes down. Like they're like, oh my God, I'm in in Disneyland for adults, right? I'm in this massive playground and I, I get to laugh again. So it's a really interesting stat. Kids laugh and smile 200 times a day. How many times do you think adults laugh and smile in day. I, I don't know the stat, but far less. About 15 times. 15 right? times. Yeah. So when you, yeah. when you giggle and laugh and you get that stomach roar from laughing so hard, how great it feels, we stop oh, doing yeah. that as adults. Right. So. Yeah, yeah that's true. Uh, the, the, there's a operational piece in here that to me is really interesting and having being in charge of, uh, of not just coming up with new programming and new guest experiences in a hotel, but actually rolling them out successfully and not like having to backtrack two weeks later because everything is falling apart. That's a piece that's really interesting to me. Um, how, how do you come up with, with, well, not necessarily how do you come up with new ideas? Once you've decided this is something that we're going to do or implement, like the new weight loss program that you've, you've rolled out. I mean, that's, that's an obvious natural extension to what you do, but getting everybody on board, understanding the philosophy, living, breathing it, keeping it alive, and then the iteration of it, because I'm sure that'll happen. Um, what, 
I don't even like what's the process. That's not even the right question to ask. But maybe just give us some color on on what that looks like within the organization. Yeah. So I I think I started a crazy behavior when I was back at Inlink, my last company, when I bought out my partners because I never do anything traditional. So you try to get people to stop and be thoughtful and strategic because I remember someone once told me, take your best. We tend to pick our best people and put them on our biggest problems. And that's the worst thing you can do, right? You, you got to take time to take your best people and put them on the biggest opportunities, right? So there's always a fire to put out. We never have that problem, right? But how do you get people to be thoughtful about strategy? So I actually implemented in my own company, every manager, I had 12 managers or 12 departments, Every third Thursday, they had to come to my house and the day was strategy, right? I fixed them breakfast and lunch, and it was devoted to how to improve things, how to make it better, crazy ideas, right? We came up with what we called our moving day. Once a year, every employee had to pack up everything they had, and we put them in a new place in the building so that they met new people. They saw new things. You know, my IT department absolutely hated me, right? But it was important to shake it up. And so people are like, oh my God, oh my God, they have this Thursday. They're going to come back with crazy ideas, Right. And they, yep. they came to embrace the, the fluidity of that because I think we get stuck with thinking something has to be right. You know, I mean, today coffee saves our life, tomorrow it kills us, you know? So right. you have to be okay with knowing that whatever we implement, it's fluid, it can change. Like a marketing plan on a shelf is useless, but a marketing plan that you live in changes and adapts because the world's mm-hmm. moving, right? So, you know, it's ironic because today is actually our offsite team meeting. So today, all of the employees met and, um, and it was dedicated to listening to them. So we did a state of the union. Where are we at? What are we doing? Gamified it. And then four hours was dedicated to tell us what you see. Tell us what you want. And I believe in stop, start and change. What do you want to stop? What's dumb? What's not working? What do you want to start? Because it's changed. And what do you want to change? Because it, it needs to be tweaked. Well, mm-hmm. Your people know that. They're living yeah. it. Right. So we're very conscious of doing that activity a couple times of a year so that we don't let too much time go by, that we are listening and responding and doing that. Yeah. It's bottom up. Yeah. It's more bottom up led than top, All bottom which up. is completely different than uh, the way a lot of organizations are run. I think, you know, the 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 need to uh, maybe justify your position as a senior leader in an organization by coming up with great ideas or different, I mean, how, who listened to the show, I'm sure you've experienced this too, where, you know, everyone's doing this thing that 15 managers ago implemented and we're just doing it cause we're doing it. But that person, you know, it doesn't make, I mean, it makes any sense. They were doing it to justify their position. Exactly. Right. It's uh, so yeah, that bottom up approach, I think has just been shown time and time again. What was crazy with to, Salesforce when I built it. I mean, I literally walked around the clipboard and said, okay, what do you do next? Okay. What do you do next before I built it? And, and I sat down with all the teams individually and I said, if I build something for me, I'm just going to get dirty data, you know, yeah. bad data in, bad data out. Because for you now, it's just something you have to do. I said, but if I build it for you, I'll figure out how to get the report out. I'm smart enough to figure that out. But if it doesn't help you in your job, then it's all irrelevant because you're not going to actually do what it's meant to do. And I don't right. think we take the time to be thoughtful about that because it's just one more task they have to do and they don't even know why they're doing it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we spoke about something in our intro call before recording this about your this past philosophy that you've brought into. Well, you brought. I mean, it's part of your core who you are, right? Um, what does the acronym stand for? Ask, ask the question one more time. The, the past. Oh, P-A-S-S. past. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when I was at World, 
I worked with some great organizations that helped us with employee building, with our inspections, and I became really close to um, the owner of the organization. And so I kind of morphed one of his ideas and we worked together on it. But we recognize that organizations often don't have what's called a blueprint. You know, we have so much written documentation, mission, vision, value, this, this. Well, that doesn't resonate with people necessarily. And it can be so complicated that we just go, it's on a board. Yes, it's up there. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. So we worked really hard at World to create a template and uh, um, what we called our, um, our, you know, a, a program that we could go out to the hotels to reestablish who they came from. Our first hotel we sat with was in America and the owners were amazing and passionate and their whole team was in there. And so I led this one so that I could understand what needed to be done at each one of these for the blueprint. And it was four hours in and all of a sudden they realized that they had passed on all of the beauty that they had, why they created what they created because now it'd been years and it gets lost in translation. And all these people are like, well, I didn't even know that's why we had that thing. Oh, that's where that yeah. came from. You know, so I think there's this part of a blueprint that helps everybody re-engage and it's very much bottom um, up. So your first line, which is what PASS was about, is what is the experience we want our guests to have, right? So it's kind of net promoter on steroids, but, mm. but what is the experience? So if I say what PASS is, you could say, well, I don't even know if that's in hospitality. Like what it, you wouldn't apply it to an industry, but we said if every guest leaves here with this, then we know we succeeded, right? Mm -hmm. So pass was prepared, right? So your first letters, if you feel prepared coming in, you're less stressed. If you feel prepared with the schedule, you know what's going on. If you feel prepared that you know what the food is, you're not freaking out, right? So prepared is reducing stress. We want them to feel prepared, right? So the second one is accomplished, right? If you're coming in and you explain your goals, Adam, and we hit your goals and you feel accomplished, you're going to go home feeling good that you did what you intended to do, right? So that's different for everybody. The next one is um, sparked, right? How do I wake you up again, right? So sparked can happen at any moment, at any time with anybody in the organization, but we've got to spark it, right? You know, it's like a, you know, match doesn't get lit by itself, right? So right. you got to spark it. So how do we spark people, right? And then the last one was, um, how do you feel supported? And this is a tricky one because for our team, everybody can support them, right? If you go to the general store and you want to buy 15 protein bars, well, my lodge team is supposed to say, that's perfectly fine, Adam, but let's go for a walk first. Let's go do a walk around the property. And if you get back and still want to buy 15, I'll sell them to you. Because my job is to support you. And if I just do what you want, then I'm not always helping you, right? If my right. kitchen, you go and go, oh, I'm hungry. Could you give me more food? Well, we have it at macro plan. And they should say, absolutely. Go talk to your trainer and they'll up your plan. We don't want you hungry but I'm supporting you in your journey, right? So mm -hmm. if the entire organization knows that's what success looks like and it's implemented to all of our surveys at the end, we succeeded. Yeah. But with those words, you don't necessarily say, oh, you're a fitness retreat, right? It could be anything. But as an organization, yeah. if you know what your guest wants, everyone should be focused on delivering that without it being complicated. Yeah, and it, it, combining that, philosophy, that operating philosophy with a bottom-up approach uh, of getting people. So you're, you're getting, you're, you're helping them understand why they're there every single day. What are they contributing to? And if something's broken, they can bring it to the table yep. and fix it. Uh, I would imagine that that of, of, of anything that you could possibly do to create buy-in, to get people, the staff that you bring on to buy into what you're doing. I know I'm like using buy-in a lot, but 
that's, I can't imagine anything more powerful. Well, and the cool thing about the blueprint is it's not that top line that matters, right? So let's Mm -hmm. say the word prepared. Well, now you need an environment, right? So prepared means that I've now created an environment where all the employees, we take them through education. They actually go through the program. They experience it. So they're prepared for when those clients ask questions and they're not afraid, right? They're not stepping back. So you've got to think about the environment is next. What do I have to do to make sure they feel prepared? Well, and then the next level is how do you hire the right people, right? So then you look at that piece of it. And so, and then the last one is leadership. I've got to create an environment where you feel education is important. We're embracing the education. It doesn't start with prepared, right? That's the first word we want them to feel, but you got to move it all the way through the organization to make sure that they can succeed at being prepared, right? So all my new employees, I teach them all. They just all went through their second test and they're like, I love it. I feel like all those questions that they're going to ask me, I feel I can answer them now. So, Right. And that is going to take a lot of uh, self-awareness and humility, I imagine, on your part and on senior leaders in your organization's part to not get in that ego-driven, I have to be right. Or like, we have an open door policy, but I don't really want to hear your ideas. Right, right. <laughs> now, I used to say uh, a problem doesn't exist unless there's a solution. So come in my yeah. office with three three ideas of solutions and I'll help you work through them, right? Because yeah. we live in problem world. And so how do you start getting people to start feeling excited about solution world? Yeah. Um, I imagine that you've, you've got a lot of guests who are, and you, you mentioned it earlier, that are um, being in a new environment like this especially health and fitness oriented, very uh, vulnerable in a lot of cases, especially if somebody doesn't have any experience in it. Um, and it's probably forcing them, them to confront a lot of things about themselves that they don't like, or they, you know, maybe they've been carrying a lot of baggage for a long time. And so you get, you're at this intersection where you are, you're not just selling an experience, you're selling an experience of like, you know, oh, that was a great meal. It's really more of a life-changing experience. Mm-hmm. But your team ends up, I imagine, uh, bearing the brunt of people's, uh, the, the emotional weight that they kind of bring with them into the, the retreat. Um, how do you set your staff up to be able to cope with those difficult situations? Because it's definitely outside the norm of what a typical property would deal with. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Adam. Um, So, you know, I believe in education, right? That's the one thing that frees you to feel more confident in what you do. So we do a lot of education with the staff. Um, It doesn't matter where you are in that, right? So we almost say they're all life coaches. Um, And if I get them all certified, I just don't want the guests to know they are because they already carry the burden and now there's an expectation. But the reason why we don't have a lot of people sign up for life coaching in our program is because they're getting it all day long from our staff, right? They just don't know it. Um, in a very subtle way of encouraging, setting your smart goals and how are you getting there and what are you doing? But I think that the biggest thing is I taught all the staff had to go through crucial conversations. Um, it's an amazing book. I've done it at every single organization. People are always like, you saved my family, you saved my, my relationship, my kids, because we don't learn how to have crucial conversations in our life. It's not intuitive. Right. And so by teaching our staff how to have crucial conversations, it becomes easier for them to deal with some of those challenges that they have with guests in a very sincere, honest, upfront way so that they don't start absorbing all of it without necessarily addressing it, um, hmm. addressing it the right way. So you feel comfortable in those challenging times. 
The other thing is I always tell our employees, and it's very hard, you are a punching bag until Thursday, right? Their day off is the day that our guests realize they don't hate themselves anymore. Like, cause they feel like, oh my gosh, how did I get myself here? How did I, how have I let myself go? Or, you know, and so there's so much emotional stuff going on with our guests, even though they're going through fitness, everything has come to the service, right? And we prepare them for that in orientation. We're like, you are going to have breakdowns. You're going to have breakthroughs. You're going to start crying. You're not even going to know why, right? And you don't have to be doing the fitness, but you're going through this journey. So I tell the employees, I said, you just got to hold on till Thursday, right? But in the meantime, I would say, if there is somebody that's difficult and challenging, that's my job to take care of our employees, right? So I've had a sudden guest home. I'm like, this is not the right time and place for you, you know? And I said, you affect the community and you're affecting everybody else. And, you know, we'd love to have you come back, but I just don't think you're ready to be here. And so I've had to send some guests home and it's a tough conversation, but that's for me, not for our employees. Um, But they know that I will protect them. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, Crucial conversations. Is that a book or a course? It is. A, I'll, I'll link. It's I'm going to link to book, it in the show. Right. It's amazing. I mean, a book. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But um, from an organizational standpoint, um, you have all the support materials to turn it into an educational process. So you have a lot of tools and kits. You can listen to it online. So it depends mm-hmm. on how deep you want to get with your organization. But every company I've ever had, every employee had to go through it. Um, and so it's it's the reason why in a, a lot of times hotels and especially hospitality, it's critical. But like in a, in a surgical ward, if you're afraid to tell the doctor they're cutting off the wrong leg, guess what? That's why they cut off the left leg, not the right leg is you don't want to get fired. You don't want to come, you know, be in a conflict. You don't want to say anything. So think about how many times in life we say nothing and how many people are hurt in that process. Um, Mm -hmm. so we're never taught how to have it. Our parents said, put it under the rug, right? If you have nothing good to say, don't say it at all. You know, because what happens in a crucial conversation is all that adrenaline is racing, everything is happening and we're actually animals. So we're in fight or flight. We're stronger than we've ever been and we run faster than we've ever been, but we're dumber than we could ever be because there's no brain in our brain or blood in our brain. So how do you find that comfort and confidence? And again, it's just practice, right? It's not perfection. Yeah. Um, Getting the, I'm curious to, to look at your recruiting process a little bit. And in, in so far as the, the types of people and mindset that you're looking to bring on, and you told me a fun story about Citizen M's recruiting strategy or story, uh, that you had some experience. I'd love if you could retell that, but maybe in the context of, uh, not everybody's going to be wired to be able to work at the retreat. Um, but so there's probably, I'm guessing that there's a type of maybe perspective or maybe life experience that you're looking for. Is that, can you tie that into the Citizen M story? Yeah. So Citizen M did, does amazing things. Michael Levy is an amazing leader, right? And so, you know, they kind of turned it around when they recruited and they said, okay, we're bringing in a hundred people. They're all qualified. We know from their resume, but that's not about their resume, right? So what they do is they break them into little subgroups and they play games and they have interactions and they observe the interaction. And the interaction is what makes it real, right? So I can teach anybody how to make a coffee. I can teach anybody how to make a drink or fix food, but I can't teach people how to be compassionate or empathetic or fill with the needs that I have. And if I'm an accounting company, it's a very different need than if I'm in a fitness and wellness retreat, right? And so, you know, they always say, get on the bus, find the right seat on the bus if you belong on the bus, right? And so you get one bad person on the bus, everybody goes quiet, 
right? So you got to get them off the bus. Yeah. But a lot of times they're in the wrong seat, right? But how do you yeah. get the right people on the bus is understanding that pass. How do you find people that we know that those things are all something that they're passionate about, right? So when, in the interviewing process, we really focus on that blueprint of understanding what do you think being prepared is at this kind of an organization? What do you think? How would you spark somebody? I don't care if you're in housekeeping or you're in the kitchen, what would you do, right? So having a conversation around that top line so that they get excited and understand it, but then you start to hear the dialogue and see how they interact, right? It's the same thing with putting them in the program so that they can be side by side by our guests to go, wow, this is what they go through. We pay them an hour a day to go to any class they want because I believe in their wellness. So we get a lot of people that are on their own wellness journey and at the beginning or at the end, and they're like, oh my God, I get paid to work out, you know? And so- I think those are the things that you're you're already introducing. If those aren't important to you, then you might not be the right person for our organization. You don't need mm-hmm. to be a gym junkie, but mm-hmm. you're on a journey, right? And yeah. and that's inspiring to you, no matter what part of the organization you're in. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I I love that philosophy. I th- I think I I would imagine that there's some old ways of thinking. Uh, that people would bring in, especially if they're in the hospitality industry, if they've had you know a long career, you get very sort of. You mentioned earlier, you get siloed, right? And you sort of, in myopic, and you look at the world through your one lens or your one department, um, and you're conditioned to think a certain way. And at at some point along the way, and nobody really knows when this happens, you just sort of like you sort of lose your curiosity, <laughs> and you lose your right autopilot. Yeah, it's it's easier, and if you're not exercising that muscle you, you kind of lose it or, I mean, you can find it again, but it's, it's tough. Um, is when you're going through the interview process, uh, is, is the, are you cognizant of that? Are you sort of like, you, you sort of like, I, you can see like sparks of like maybe some creativity or different, or looking at things that might align with what you're trying to achieve. Um, so I guess it, in a way thinking, you don't have to come into the interview process being super creative, having all of these really great ideas. But if you if you like the idea of what we're doing, and you can just kind of think about maybe some ways that you can contribute, then that might be enough. Well, and I think for us, especially to your point of that autopilot, I used to always say to people about active listening, how many times we've driven to work and we didn't even know how we got there. Like we didn't, yeah. you know, thank goodness we're all alive. I don't know what's happening in our mind. But for us, it's a lot because we are a smaller organization and we're very interactive. I always say it's about you want to wear lots of hats, you know, because the people that desire to have that, they might be the ones that seem like they're always a little uncomfortable sticking around in an organization very long because they don't want the repetitiveness. But you don't want people that want repetitiveness if you want them to be thoughtful and do things differently. Right. So so like for us, every team um, has a day that they do gardening right? So your team goes and works the garden that day and you're out there interacting in a different way, right? So every team has a different portion of the newsletter every month where it's like, just talk to us about what's getting you excited. So getting them out of housekeeping and being part of something else. And so we really try to do a lot of that cross aspect in the organization. Um, Our lodge team has to be trained in every department so they can jump into anything, right? Every one of our employees is asked to learn how to teach one fitness class because you never know if it's going to have to be you, right? Love that. And so, you know, that could be kettleball or TRX. You don't have to be good at it, but I'm going to certify you in one because ultimately we have a priority of what's critical to the organization. 
and everybody should feel comfortable jumping into the kitchen if they have to. So everybody's trained in the kitchen. So if we need extra hands in the kitchen, everybody can do it. You know, and I think that keeps people inspired so they don't feel like they're just coming to work and they're an autopilot. Yeah. Learning new skills and things that they can take with them to their own lives too. Right. I mean, super important. Um, Before we wrap the show here, uh, I'd like just like to get your perspective on the last couple of years. I mean, you know, we know, we know where we're at, but is there, is, is there anything from a leadership perspective that a way of thinking that you had prior to the pandemic that maybe has changed or been reinforced as important as a senior leader, as we kind of stand here today, mid November going into 22, third year of COVID right. uh, going into it, believe it or not. You know, I, I've had a lot of discussions with people about it. And I think ultimately we fast forward to shake up. We don't change by nature. Humans don't, right? Unless they're forced to. We would have never experimented with everybody working from home. You know, people talk about it. It's a great theory. I'm not taking a chance. What if they can't do it? What if they're unable to do it? So I think the opportunity and what happened was we have now created new roads. It's almost like when we talk about our brain and synapses and it creates new channels in our head and we're on a heart. Like if we push hard, we find new bypasses around our heart, right? And so we were forced to behave differently, which made some people look introspectively a lot more on what they want out of their life. It made people change careers because my job went away and I can't wait around for it to come back. So we've opened up so many eyes and hearts and minds. Um, But now as leaders, we just want to go back to the way it was, right? Because I know how that works, autopilot. And I think that we have to step back and go, maybe it is okay that they work from home a couple days a week, or maybe they are more productive there. Or how do we support them in that process? Instead of saying, nope, you got to come back now because this is what we do and you've got to be here. And so I think it's really forcing leadership to say, I'm never going to get it back to where it was, but my gosh, maybe it could be better. Maybe this is an opportunity, not a deficit. I mean, we've lost so many people in the hospitality industry because they had to find jobs, but are we inspiring them to come back? Are we doing those things that make them go, I'm willing to work every weekend and I'm willing to work these crazy shifts. Why? Because I want to be like a Michael Levy at Citizen M and he encourages me to dance with the guests in, in the bar, right? Mm-hmm. So I think we have to push ourselves to not desperately want to go back to what it was, but reinvent at this point. If anybody wants to learn more about uh, the retreat yourself, what's a good place for them to go? Uh, you can go to um, Rock Springs RC. So it's www.rockspringsrc. Or you can take a shorter avenue, which is www.fit.farm. Um, either one will get you to where you're going. Perfect. I'll link to everything in the show notes that we talked about. Chris, I love this conversation. I really appreciate you being on the show. Thanks for bringing your your uh, your spark, your insight, uh, and and your perspective on things. I it resonates with me uh, a lot. And, and so, thank you for your time. Absolutely, Adam. Thank you for having us on, and it was amazing meeting you. This was my episode with Chris Interest. You can learn more about Rock Springs Retreat Center at rockspringsrc.com. To hear past episodes or check out our other content, go to theprovenprinciplespodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and a review. I'm Adam Knight, and you've been listening to the Proven Principles Podcast. Until next time.